Welcome and thanks for listening. This is your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Greetings and thank you again for joining me. I am Gene Cotter, your host. Today we are joined by Deb Van Dyke Reese, who is the director of the Court Improvement Project. Deb, welcome. Thank you. So when we talk about the Court Improvement Project, I know it's been around for a while, but I don't know if a lot of people really know what the Court Improvement Project is. Can you just take us through a little bit about what CIP is and what you do? So the Nebraska Court Improvement Project started in the late 90s, and um, uh, what happened is that the federal government decided that they wanted to give funding to a state court, so the highest court in each state, to do an assessment of their juvenile court system. And so that was really how the Court Improvement Project started. Um, the Our Court Improvement Project has continued to stay in that vein of assessing the court process, um, not just in the juvenile court process um, as a whole, um, not just child welfare, but we also include juvenile justice. And uh, we are looking at how do we make this process better, the juvenile court process better for kids and families that are working, going through the system. When you talk about process assessment, how do you go about that? Exactly how do you assess processes? So one of the things that we are doing and, and have actually just completed is a court observation. Uh, so what we did is we completed over 250 observations of courts, both child welfare and juvenile justice proceedings across the state. What we were looking at is judicial engagement with the parties that are involved in the case. So how is the judge uh, engaging with the child if they are present, with the parents? Um, are they asking them questions? Are they um, explaining the court process. So that is one of the things that really is identified as best practice um, across the country is that if there is authentic judicial engagement with the parties, then those parties will um, have a sense of procedural justice um, and feel like that the process has been fair, that their voice was heard, that they understood was what was happening during the court process. Um, so that's just one of the ways that we continue to assess um, how our courts are doing. Deb, when we look at juvenile justice, obviously there's a considerable and ongoing evolution of the way people probably worldwide want to address kids. Mm -hmm. So when you identify or when you talk about best practices, how do you go about letting judges, letting communities, letting families and probation officers and attorneys know what the best practices are for juvenile justice? Well, one of the key things that we do is constantly provide education to a multiple multiple stakeholders across the state. Um, so we do that through our regional conferences that happen um, on a yearly basis. And then every three years, we host a children's summit, which where we have um, different tracks of education. So we have a juvenile justice track, child welfare, a track for attorneys, judges, uh, behavioral health, uh, native youth and families. And we focus education in each of those realms. But the other thing is, is that by bringing this multiple group of stakeholders together, they're hearing some of the same messages. And so we bring in national speakers uh, to talk about what are some of those best practices. So for example, we have brought in 
um, a judge from Georgia who has been really engaged in some restorative practice work. And so he talked about that restorative practice work. We brought in the Associate Commissioner of the Administration on Children and Families, um, the previous one, and he talked about his vision for really moving upstream to try to prevent kids and families from coming into the child welfare system and how do we meet the needs of kids and families prior to their involvement with child welfare. That has been a, a pivotal piece of the work that CIP has done historically is not just focusing our education towards one group, but having everybody hear the same message and then moving forward with that. When you talk about or use terms like upstream and restorative, could you just explain a little bit more about what upstream means, what restorative means, and then maybe also talk a little bit of more about the content that you would get at the Children's Summit or at your regional conferences mm -hmm. in the fall? Sure. Um, so what I mean by upstream is that there may be families that come to the attention of a school because a child comes to school with dirty clothes or, um, or the child has been missing school. And so it would be, um, I think it's, it's a, there's been a real push to dig into what are some of the underlying issues within that family and addressing those issues, um, whether it might be, there might be some issues with poverty. Um, there might be some issues with mental illness. Um, there might be some um, issues with substance use. Uh, and so if addressing and helping those families, having them get the services that they need um, early on, as opposed to waiting until there's court involvement and then there's a court order that um, requires a family to, or a parent to participate in particular services, that's not upstream, you know, is waiting until that court involvement. And so there's this real push to look at how do we meet the needs of children, youth, families, prior to their court involvement, or even even prior to getting, you know, having law enforcement involvement or um, any of those kinds of things. One would assume that takes a very knowledgeable worker base uh, from across a multitude of agencies. You just talked about law enforcement, et cetera. Could you speak specifically to any efforts that this prevention, this upstream identification and maybe intervention takes on for you before that person gets or finds themselves in court? Some of our Through the Eyes of the Child teams, which are multidisciplinary, judge-led teams. Um, we have 25 teams across the state, so we cover the entire state. Um, but some of our Through the Eyes of the Child teams have actually taken that on. And what that looks like is that, for example, um, we've got a judge, Judge Payne, in uh, Red Willow County, her Through the Eyes team, um, you know, was working with uh, schools. They would go in and do presentations at schools, and what she was finding out is that there were kids that were coming to school and they were very tired. You know, they didn't have, like, adequate sleeping materials, such as a pillow. And so she decided that she was going to go out and her, there, through the eyes of the child team, purchase pillows to provide to the children um, through the school. You know, that's just one way that, that she has decided to use her through the eyes of the child team to try to move upstream a little bit. Through the eyes of the child, what a fantastic name for a working group, looking at things through the eyes of mm -hmm. children. 
I think I need you to go even a little bit more in depth about, you talked about judges, you talked about judge-led law enforcement, 25 teams across the state. Could you go just a little bit deeper into what an Eyes of the Child team does and what they consist of, mm-hmm. or who they consist of? So um, when I mentioned uh, at the very beginning of our conversation about the assessment that was done, that is actually how, first of all, the Through the Eyes of the Child team started, is that they did an assessment of their court structure, of their processes, and then kind of did a self-reflection on what are some of the issues that um, they need to address. And so at the very beginning, some of those teams were looking at um, time from the a removal of a child to that first protective custody hearing. And this was prior to any kind of Supreme Court rule that talked about those timelines. And so then they decided that they were going to um, make sure that, so for example, in Lancaster County, uh, they have a set day of the week, every week, that all of those protective custody hearings are held. And so that's just one example of how a team kind of did that self-assessment. What are our areas? What are our concerns? Where do we need to improve? And then came up with a internal process for meeting those needs. All of our Through the Eyes of the Child teams have very different characteristics, um, different. We have a generally the same composition as a core, but then there may be some auxiliary members that are different. So for example, we do tend to have, I mean, it's all judge-led. Uh, we have uh, DHHS, probation, um, attorneys, uh, county attorney, usually as, at the, as part of those meetings. But then some teams may really focus on education. And so then they will make sure that there's education professionals that are involved. Some teams may really want to look at enhancing services. And so they may do some outreach to the behavioral health community and bring them to the table. Um, so so they look very different depending on the focus that the, that the team wants to have. A couple things I want to clarify there. You talked about behavioral health. What you're Mm -hmm. talking about there is maybe substance abuse or substance involvement with whether it be the kids or family members, whether it's mental health-related issues going Mm -hmm. on within the family, Mm -hmm. any behavioral-related issues that may be experienced by those kids and families. Right, right. right. It could also be assessments, you know, time to assessment from the beginning of the case. So they, so sometimes, you know, judges are waiting for the, the results from a substance use assessment or a, you know, psyche eval or something like that. And so it could also be related to that too. Deb, when you talk about through the eyes of the child teams, they have to be demographically different, geographically different, differences in many, many different ways, team makeup, et cetera. So I'm assuming that there's some sort of a data that is followed to determine what what exactly the priorities of each team is. Would that be an accurate statement? Yes, that would, Jean. And that's something that historically CIP has provided to our Through the Eyes of the Child teams. And I'll be honest, at the very beginning, I think that there were a lot of teams that would get their data reports and they would be like, yeah, this isn't really helpful to us. And so part of it has been um, helping the teams understand what does this data mean? How was it pulled? You know, how, how, what do, how, how can you use this data to make data-informed decisions on what your team should focus on 
in the next year or in the next couple of years. And so we're looking at both child welfare and juvenile justice data. We're looking at things like timeliness to a particular hearing, um, how many kids were placed in out-of-home placement in that area, uh, what, how long did it take to have the case close, um, you know, all just a wide variety of data elements, which can be overwhelming at times if, if there's somebody that's not used to looking at these data elements on a regular basis. But that's something that we try to do with our CIP team is that we help to kind of provide some context to that data and then also help to um, provide some focus or some supports to each team as they are looking at their data. I'm sure that probably is important to each individual team as well so they don't just feel like they're rowing with no place to go. Um, right. Always, everybody's pulling in the same direction. You get an opportunity to measure your progress, maybe right. establish new goals based on that information. Right, right. And kind of like I said, also maybe if they decide on doing a certain project, um, then we encourage them to have some data elements that can measure that progress. You know, how do they know that they've completed this project and are there data elements that can follow that? The other thing is you talked about, you, I've heard you talk about child welfare and I've heard you talk about juvenile justice. Those mm -hmm. two things are distinctly different from one another. Generally, the judicial branch, especially probation, handles juvenile justice related issues, whereas Department of Health and Human Services primarily handles child welfare issues. Mm -hmm. How much do you partner with them? We partner with both, I think, very closely. Actually, part of our federal funds that come from ACF, um, we have requirements for how we partner with the Department of Health and Human Services. So we have a joint project with them. Um, we are also, uh, every uh, five years, they complete a child and family services review, which is just an assessment of the child welfare system. And so the Court Improvement Project is a integral part of that assessment. And then if there are deficiencies, then developing a plan to meet those deficiencies. And so we've been um, really inserted into um, their program improvement plan um, and, and will continue to do that. On the juvenile justice side, um, I know that Nebraska is uh, now going to be doing the juvenile justice system enhancement, and so we are integrally in part, a part of that assessment. Um, and then we are constantly bringing to the, bring, making sure that um, both child welfare and juvenile justice issues are brought to and looked at in terms of our uh, through the eyes of the child teams. For example, another, um, our Through the Eyes of the Child team in Hall County just completed a juvenile detention alternative initiative, a JDI assessment, and actually are meeting today to uh, get the results of that assessment to then determine what are their next steps to look at those detention alternatives in Hall County. And our team was part of that assessment of that system um, being you know, not part of the, not part of health and human services directly, you know, not directly part of probation, but part of the court system, um, we can provide somewhat of a neutral uh, perspective on, um, on those assessments. Deb, I know generally people think about the two realms that we just talked about, juvenile justice mm -hmm. and child welfare. You also partner with 
the native, like the tribes of Nebraska, right, through the Indian Child Welfare Act, ICWA. Can you talk a little bit about your interactions, involvement, engagement with them? We work with the tribes in a variety of different ways. Uh, so some is some of our ways is really more on a systemic level. So looking at what are some of the systems issues that the tribes are um, dealing with, uh, which might be, um, and and actually we've been lucky to because court improvement projects are in every state across the country, and we have this network of CIPs that works together, we were able to partner with our friends in Iowa and the court improvement project and bring them together with a tribe that is um, has their reservation here in Nebraska to talk about the issues. So really, we were kind of a conduit. We were a convener to bring people together to address those issues. Um, but we also have been very engaged in developing um, ICWA education for judges. So there was an ICWA judicial education manual that we um, actually had Judge Rungi, who is a judge in Winnebago, a tribal judge in Winnebago, and then Judge Van Pola, who is in Douglas, in I'm sorry, Dodge County, um, who helped to uh, provide this education to our courts. Um, but we know that um, you, Native youth that are system-involved do not have as good of outcomes as children who and youth that are not Native or not children or, and youth of color. And so we know that, there are, that they are more often represented in our court system, both in child welfare and juvenile justice. And so we have a lot of work that we need to do um, just in race, race equity issues to be, you know, as a whole, but specifically focused on um, our Native American youth. Especially when you talk about procedural justice, which you right. mentioned earlier, is making sure that we're looking at things in such a way that procedural justice isn't something that's just talked about, but something that is experienced no matter mm -hmm. who's experiencing the courts. Right, right. And the other thing, though, Jean, that I wanted to highlight is that um, what a, a real focus of ours, um, especially right now, is making sure that we have people with lived experience that can talk and express their feelings and their and share their experience with those of us that work in the court system. Um, I think that sometime, for a long time, that has been a missing element of a lot of the reform efforts, you know, a lot of the systemic efforts that have happened um, historically. And I think that there is now this real understanding about, you know, that was a key piece that was missing from the conversation for a long time. And so that it that actually will be the theme of our Children's Summit next year is um, engagement with youth and families and how do we have that authentic engagement with youth and families, um, not just on a systemic level, but a, on a one-on-one -on -one level. CIP has been around, if my math is right, and I'm certainly not professing to be a math major, but coming up on 30 years mm -hmm. or so. What have you, and I know you haven't necessarily been in this role, but what are some of the major projects or accomplishments that CIPs had during that time frame? Well, I think that um, going back to our Through the Eyes of the Child teams, I think that those teams have been, are now seen as a, um, a way to get information out across the state 
So I think that our Through the Eyes of the Child teams is a major accomplishment. Um, I think the second thing is that um, CIP worked very closely with the Office of Dispute Resolution to get some of the different um, child welfare conferencing models up and running and more likely used across the state. The other thing is, is that I think that we continue to bring education and training to our state that keeps everybody um, up to speed on what are the best practices? How can we move this, move the needle, I think is how the chief usually says. Um, but how do we impact children and youth and families um, moving forward? The last thing is, is that, you know, there's some, been some great initiatives that have happened um, within certain court jurisdictions. So um, the family treatment courts, I think, started with CIP helping to um, you know, do some evaluation to bring stakeholders to the table. I think the impact from infancy and the work that was looking at um, focusing on young children. So uh, it's impact from infancy focuses. It's a program in Douglas County where uh, children age birth to five uh, have a get additional focus, I guess, is how I could put it, and that there is increased understanding from the stakeholders that it's important to put services in place, uh, behavioral health services and others, um, to meet the needs of those families with young ones. Process improvement through collaboration, information gathering, joint efforts, education, et cetera. Sounds like a fantastic way to take a look in the mirror and make sure we're doing right by the people of Nebraska. Deb Van Dyke-Reese from the Court Improvement Project, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Jean. This has been another episode of Your Nebraska Judicial Branch. Please remember to subscribe, like, and review us on your favorite podcast platform.